Bye. Short Bus Debate Club. It's a bus. Rolling. get on board. <laughs> Hello, I'm Darren Jolly. <laughs> it's time to get this short bus started. So let's roll and on with the show. Welcome to the second half of the censorship movies fucking thing. Um, this is Brian Courtney. That guy over there is Darren Jolly. Good morning, short bus. Dude, that was loud as fuck. It was supposed to be. Yeah, I get it. But I just don't know what it's going to look like on the... Well, it's not going to be as bad as the first three minutes were the from the last ones. Yeah, I stopped jerking off, dude. I I don't want it to keep pounding on the... I don't want it to keep... You know? <laughs> I tried to fuck with it. After it had already been posted, I figured I'd pull it down and mm-hmm. put another one up if I could put some filters on it. Nothing. Yeah. I couldn't find the right filter to do what I needed it to do. Um, anyway, so we're going to talk about censorship and entertainment. Um, you know... I didn't realize that they made a movie, Fahrenheit 451, in 1966. Yeah, it sucked. Well, the new one wasn't fucking good. I mean, it's about burning paper and that showed them fucking throwing servers and shit on the fire. What was the name? Uh, the guy that uh, directed that first one actually was, was was a really good director. What was it? What was the... I don't know. Uh, Truffaut, I think, maybe. Okay, we're we're talking about Fahrenheit Move. 451, yeah. Fahrenheit blah blah blah. 1966. Yeah, you can't stop me, Francois Truffaut. Boom! Nicely done. <laughs> Way to pick out the director of a shit movie, well, and it's shit according to you, not me, because I, mean, I haven't seen it. It's 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 okay, you know. I mean, but it's it's 1966 goofiness. It it follows the um the book pretty well. I mean, at the end, he's walking along the railroad tracks and. I'm, you know, uh, Tom, you know, Uncle Tom's cabin and whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, well, because for people that haven't read the book or watched the movie, there are all those people they call eels that memorize certain books so they can basically recite them so that the book stays alive. And maybe along the same lines of the book of Eli, maybe so that at some point they can recite them so that somebody else can type them up and print them i don't know well i mean but i I, at least i think part of the reason why i like fahrenheit 451 and the way that they couched it at the end is that was their ontology like because they lived in a world where books were no longer existing or they were hidden and then when they found them they burned them all the stupid shit the you know because paper burns it you know 451 degrees um these people were so devoted to the importance of books that they gave up their whole core being outside of the context of memorizing it, and that, that's what they became. I am, dude. I, I yeah, I no, did no, my, that. Yeah, shit. yeah. I mean, that's like, the, like honestly, that's onto, like their being. You know, their ontology is 
I am now Charles Dickens, you know. It is slightly problematic because, I mean, it's not like you can go and check out a person at the local <laughs> library, right? Or, you know, or do you, what, go on a date and they just, she sits there and <laughs> talks about the book? He was sitting across from her <laughs> and the temperature and blah, 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 blah. In the new one, though, there's some kid, I think he's got autism or some shit. Um, he has memorized every book. include Well, I mean, that's a feat in and of itself. But the first book that he starts talking about is Proust. And that's a big fucking book to memorize. Um, so well, I thought, Marcel well, that's Proust, fucking amazing. Some light shit, dude, right. you know? What was it, 27 volumes or some shit? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, it was it was a big book. Mm-hmm. Even though it came in 27 volumes, Proust considered it one book, as far as I know. Yeah, you're... you're I don't know Marcel I'm gonna, Proust. I'm going to go with you on that one, you know. I know that in that movie, Little Miss Sunshine, that uh, your favorite uh, actor, um, the office guy... He was the literature professor the, who... That had slit his wrists, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. But his big thing was, if I remember correctly, like he was a Proust scholar. So that's the tragedy of my existence that I remember stupid little fucking things like that. So, okay, so I'm gonna list a few books about and I, or movies um, about um, the intelligent components that I was talking about. Books that I th- or movies that I think at least give you a good introduction to uh, concepts like whistleblowers. Um, how they manifested historically, that it puts these them in specific a specific context, and then there's one TV show that has sort of like an abstract abstract express and expression on um, uh, whistleblowers, and uh, and it puts it in the context of the technological uh, positions and and the res- roles and responsibilities of people who are uh, working for the media that disclose the information that gets them into trouble for whistleblowers. So, but of course, so the first one is the post, right? That one was, uh, it was a Steven Spielberg movie that came out in 2017. So, you know, it's fluff. I mean, but at the same time, uh, it begins with Daniel Ellsberg. Uh, he's a, he's an, uh, uh, a journalist who's embedded with, uh, uh, people inside of, uh, Vietnam. Um, it's 66. I think that's, that's where the movie starts. Um, and when he's coming back, he's actually on a plane with Robert McNamara, right? And for some reason, I don't. The, the, part of the reason why I hate Steven Spielberg is because of like I love Amistad as a movie, but you know that it didn't happen anything like you know Matthew McConaughey and all the stupid shit that fucking played out in that. And you know it's the same thing. So I don't know whether or not anything like this really happened. Um, I mean, you know that on some level, it's sort of about like what happened inside the Washington Post when they got access to the Pentagon Papers. But you know, when you when you've got Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks and you know, there's the the, the level of bullshit is definitely fucking mounting in, in that moment. But uh, they uh mcnamara and um one of the other main crafters of u.s foreign policy i can't remember who it was they're talking to one another and ask uh, ellsberg to come and give their opinion on whether or not they think he thinks the u.s can win vietnam or not and uh the answer to the question in that moment is 
absolutely and unequivocally no but he doesn't give it in like a really pronounced way McNamara is arguing with the other guy saying that he, he that it's there's no possibility the other guy is saying that there's a possibility they get off the plane Ellsberg walks by McNamara who's talking to the uh, the press and McNamara is of course saying things are going great in Vietnam and we're gonna be able to get out of there so I, I don't mean to interrupt you but um, the Marcel Proust thing it wasn't 27 volumes it was seven volumes so I just wanted to to quickly jump back um, and mainly it's because I never saw the post um, but I know that uh, McNamara was in another fucking movie that I saw I think it was about the Gulf War and yeah he was real positive and upbeat in that movie too and I don't think the movie that I watched was Steven Spielberg so um, maybe maybe Spielberg got that part of it right I don't know for sure the only other movie that I remember seeing uh, that had McNamara in it myself um, personally well they there's there's a scene in JFK where they have him like briefly but was Fog of War the one where he actually uh, it was about his legacy like what he did in his life but I don't know whether or not to was there one called The General that was loosely based on him? The you mean the the weird movie with fucking John Travolta in it and shit like that? No, that's the General's daughter. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Penny Benjamin. And that was uh, that was John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, I think. Yeah, I don't I, that 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 I got no idea. And it okay. was a horrible fucking movie. Anyway, so, so the newsroom. The reason why I mean. The post is important because it introduces you to Daniel Ellsberg. It introduces you to uh, um, to the Pentagon Papers. Um, it, what what he actually the Pentagon Papers were were they they were these uh, discussions on what was going on and the failures and the difficulties inside Vietnam while it was being presented to the U U.S. population that we, things kept getting better and we were doing well. And there were suggestions as early as you know. Uh, 58 59 you know under eisenhower that we uh we had no fucking shot of winning that war which uh considering the way that it had been sold 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 until 75 um well and even with all and I, I know this doesn't have shit to do with the movie but it is censorship again because of what they're force feeding us right yeah, yeah. hey we're doing a we're doing a fucking bang up job yeah. over there but even with all of the fucking tiger tunnels and the guerrilla warfare and all of that shit the way the Vietnamese beat us was just propaganda, dude. I mean, seriously, they kicked our fucking ass because they were better at propaganda. And what that taught the Pentagon and United States policy in general, I would say, is that from now on, we are going to spit as much propaganda as anybody we're fighting because we're not going to let that shit happen again. Well, I got I, I got to wonder though, and I, I don't want to get into a big discussion over like how or why they they won or um, even more importantly how or whether it was even possible that uh, we could have we could have won won the war um, or the conflict or whatever the fuck you want to fucking call it. Um, police action. The police action. Yes, exactly. Um, but 
it isn't just propaganda. It's that we were never committed to fucking winning, right? I mean, we didn't ever really... I don't think that we For ever not being really... committed, we sent a shitload of fucking people over there, dude. I, I, I know, but I mean, still. Like, I think sometimes when you... I just I like every the thing that rings in my head always is is that discussion that goes on between Martin Sheen and fucking uh an apocalypse now. Was, 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 who the fuck Marlon Brando, Marlon Brando right? That's Marlon, a great fucking movie yeah. too. Well, and when he says at the end, I mean that, that I mean, and I know I've said this like four times on this show, but when he talks about we went in and we we inoculated all the children, and then we came back two weeks later, and all of their arms had been cut off. I realized at that point. That we were not operating on the same level as the Vietnamese with regards to what it was that we were trying to. And the other thing is in relation to that is that uh, I, don't, I really don't think this is conspiracy anymore. Like I think that if you just look at what it is that's gone on since Korea, we always have military activity going on somewhere. I mean, Iraq and Afghanistan were going on and literally like Iraq's essentially done. We're still doing all that shit in northern Syria, you know, but it's all only through, like, covert spaces or private spaces. We don't really have, like, uh, heavy equipment all over the place. But we, we pull them out of Afghanistan. Six months later, we start funneling all that uh, that equipment to, the, to, the, to, to Ukraine, right? I just... One thing that we're really going to have to keep an eye on is now that Republicans have uh, a weak control of the House of Representatives, the suggestion has been that they're not committed in the same way as the Democrats were to continue to sell hardware over there. Um, but that remains to be seen. If if they really, really do stop, then and they and they put put the kibosh on it and we we aren't actively going at somebody for three or four years, I'll I'll eat my fucking words. I just don't believe it. I, I don't think either. We you know, the 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 conversation between uh um what's his name? Uh uh Garrison and uh Mr. X, so Donald Sutherland and uh uh Kevin or uh uh, Tin Cup. Oh, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner, right? So Kevin Costner and Donald Sutherland having that conversation, and he says, he says, the bank of such and such was oh, about to go. Oh, you're talking about in JFK. In JFK, yeah. Okay. He says, he says the bank was about to go under, and who own who? What does that bank own? Well, that bank owns Bell uh, helicopters, and then all of a sudden this new uh, helicopter came out. How many helicopters have been shot down since? Uh, Vietnam start, you know, over 3,000, you know, uh, general dynamics, all of the different things that he talks about in that moment. And, you know, follow the funny money, follow the funny, follow the money, you know, uh, you know, these tendencies, it's not, nothing's ever as simple as what it is that I'm saying. But the fact of the matter is, is that our welfare state is, is intimately tied to, to war. I agree with you. I'm I'm not saying anything differently. I'm just saying that we did get our ass kicked, and we have changed our policy since the Vietnam War. But we're still not trying to win them. Well, we're we trying to win in Afghanistan. Uh, we're trying to win in Iraq. Well, we fucking did some serious shit in Iraq. I mean, we did based Vietnam on too. optics, though. We did in Cambodia. We did in well, Thailand. You know. 
So the first we time we the first time in Iraq we definitely didn't win and we probably weren't trying. Now, if you take down the leader of said country, I don't know if you consider that a win or not, but you know, Saddam's gone now. So I think a lot of Americans consider that a win. Okay, then if that was a win, then why did we stay there for fucking, you know, 18 years after the dude was dead? Well, because we've got to transition the new, new policies yeah, you're, you're and, and new, me, and you don't even fucking buy. What no, you're no, I don't believe it. And I've, you know, I mean, we had an entire fucking episode on, you know, war and how we do it to generate money. Yeah. I mean, I, so I just don't think we. I mean, winning, and I don't know what winning is anyway, right? But I don't think we succeeded at anything except for getting rid of Osama bin Laden and well, getting rid of. No, and there was some weird shit in Vietnam too. I mean, if you think about Air America and the CIA and what they were doing and fucking Cambodia and Laos, um, you know, maybe they were just trying to figure out the best way to transport drugs over here. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, so, but then that, then that begs the question. Are wars just fronts for multiple other political economic activities that are functioning or power activities that are functioning throughout the globe you know i mean probably but i do agree with what brando said in apocalypse now and you know if that really happened that definitely says we're not nearly as dedicated as they are to accomplishing what they want to accomplish fucking hey dude i mean and that, so depending, because, you know, Martin Sheen, when he's going up the river, mm-hmm. he's not supposed to be crossing the border. Um, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. But. Who said that? What was that? That, that was, was uh, Robert Duvall. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Duvall. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of those guys. So, again, depending on how you look at things so apocalypse now or fucking hamburger hill or platoon or seen hamburger hill full metal jacket any of those fucking movies right what's the word for today dude the word for today is poontang (laughs) (laughs) they all have certain clearances based on position and so if this is on a need-to-know basis, then, I mean, and I know that the movie isn't necessarily about censorship, but censorship exists in basically everything that we fucking do. Yeah, yeah, of, uh, of, I mean, of course. So, so, but, okay, so quick, so the post was important because of Daniel Ellsberg and was important um, because... That was the way that happened in that that moment from like 1966 to 1972. I think it was 71 or 72 is when the the papers actually got out, and then they and uh, shout out to uh, he's dead now, but he was a senator from Alaska. His name was Mike Gavell, and uh, he took the Pentagon because he was so keyed up on like he just thought that Congress was like ignoring this gigantic uh, disclosure of how much of a failure the Vietnam War was. He actually read the Pentagon Papers out loud, kind of like a uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington thing, because he wanted if it gets if it gets into the 
the the con- congressional records you can't make it go away at that right. point in time so it's super super fucking awesome he he, he actually ran uh, for president in in 2020 um and then he died uh the the year after that uh he was not trying to win president he was just trying to make sure that we kept talking about anti-war stuff he's a re- mike gravel was a really one of the the really good last senators that we had I on the planet. I, I think. don't want to sidetrack us too much, mm-hmm. and and I think that it's cool that he read that into the congressional record and uh-huh. that it can't disappear. But there's a, a a sad thing, and that is that most people don't know how to get to a Senate record or a House record or either. Of them, and they don't know how to find documents or anything else. And I'm not saying that we're so fucking smart, but I'm just wondering how many people actually read that transcript because of the fact that it was now in the congressional record. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, this is a quality and not quantity question. As long as it's there, if somebody wants to get at it, they can get at it. And so many people now that do write about those kinds of things have cited it and pulled those clips into their digital spaces so that people can click you know it, it like obviously most people not not that we're so smart maybe that they're just so fucking uh, lazy or stupid you know or both yeah mm-hmm. but ultimately there are a lot of people that have done things to through the acts that he did as soon as that stuff digitized they've they've made it to where all you got to do is point and click now motherfuckers so um so obviously the the other ones in relation to that um uh, citizen four because you have the nsa thing where he sit there he sat there he being edward snowden another guy that for whatever reason i always forget his name uh he disclosed all the information with regard to um the structures of uh the nsa intelligence gathering mechanisms online like brian was talking about last time um the the uh, extraction of metadata and the construction of spaces to where they can literally go back to um, deeper archives through the metadata and actually get to the uh, the hard copies of what it is that the people are actually saying and 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 and, and the more specific uh, actual concrete things that were that were happening. So he 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 Citizen Four is a really good version of that. Uh, Fifth Estate, like when I watched it. I will say one thing, like, I really, really liked the fucking beginning of it, because they, like, they go, like I said, you know, we were talking about the Egypt thing, so it starts with, so they, they start with language, you know, written, you know, cuneiform, um, then they go to, uh, they actually show Martin Luther's theses being pounded to the door, um, and then the emergence of pr- printing press, um, and then moving printing press, uh, the telegraph, typewriters, mass media, radio, uh, TV and film, computers, the internet, satellites, all that kind of shit. Uh, the way that I thought they presented at the beginning of the film was really fucking cool. Uh, but um, to understand that uh, people don't want to blow the whistle because they think they're going to end up in fucking jail forever. So Assange created that space so that they could do that. Now, having said that, um, what's the name of the the girl that was the 22-year-old private that uh, used the the cd that said uh it wasn't it a dude well daniel was a dude then but went through a gender reassignment so okay sorry i didn't realize that okay that that occurred and i know we can't dead name people because it's just bad news can we have that war on a different day with people yeah um 
I, I like the Fifth Estate. I, Chelsea Manning is what her name is. I thought it was a good movie. Um, what I didn't like at the end, though, was that they were trying to suggest that everything that he did was, was as a megalomaniac. I mean, he's smart. He's going to be arrogant. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Like, if you're intelligent, especially if you do what he did, you created a pretty incredible space that changed the face of. I mean, you like you said the other day, he's not a journalist. Well, I mean, I dispute that like wholeheartedly. Well, okay, so I would consider him a journalist in the same vein that I would consider the dipshit on Yahoo that's just copying a bunch of stuff from Reuters or the fucking AP mm-hmm. and calling himself a journalist. The reason I would say that Assange is not a journalist is because he was more worried about getting the information out than vetting it, which makes him at least as bad as whatever country he was trying. And the reason that I say this is because when he does that, then he puts lives at stake. Like, you know, printing the British Parliament's fucking family's addresses and shit on there. Well... Those guys had families. I mean, and then, you know, just letting all of these fucking documents fly. The blonde, low-level intelligence lady. Who, who played that role in, in Fifth Estate? But she had that buddy in Libya. Oh, who, yeah, who yeah, yeah. I know that information about. They, but they got him over the border. But presumably, for the one person that they saved there, you know, another six, four or five hundred might, yeah, four or five hundred might have died. Yeah, I just met in Libya, but yeah, yeah, um, but I don't think so. Why does that make him not a journalist? Because a journalist would typically vet information to make sure that it's right. They would not, and I say generally, uh-huh. they would not put someone at risk in order to publish a story. Mm-hmm. You know, like. The Edward Snowden thing. Those guys fucking sat in that hotel for a fucking no, week. They're, 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 and they were vetting all of the The distinction there is very important because, yeah, because he and, and Snowden said it clearly. He says, I'm giving this to you all. I'm going to let you determine what's appropriate to post, but I want you to understand that what you're saying is true. That, like, I'm not giving you this so that you can put other people's lives that are in the field in danger. I'm giving it to you so that you can demonstrate to the u.s public that that the state department is working with verizon that the state department is working with at&t you know or yahoo or like you said all these other things so that is why i would say that he isn't a journalist i would say he's a tech guy mm-hmm. with at least initially good intentions mm-hmm. and and it may have been good intentions all the way through mm-hmm. and he just either wasn't thinking about all of it mm-hmm. or the other possibility is that he cared more about WikiLeaks than he did everything else. And, you know, because now if he publishes all whatever, 95,000 pages or whatever it was, mm-hmm. if he publishes all of them, then WikiLeaks starts getting a lot more yeah, donations. Tra- yeah, uh-huh. You know, now all of a sudden they're number one on the fucking search engines or whatever. I think you're happens. bypassing the argument that he did make. And the, whether or not you agree with the argument, he did make a very specific argument, right? He said, he said, 
I am a conduit for information to flow through so that other people can do the interpretation. I am not the person. So if you want to say he's not uh, a journalist because a journalist puts it, filter, filters it through a lens, like that, that, that's an argument that's, that, that's sort of interesting. But there's still a point that he made to where, um, like Snowden's argument is, I don't want to filter it through my lens, so I'm going to hand it off to somebody else and let them make the determination. I get and it. And they can put it there. Yeah. But Snowden said, I don't want to allow my bias to enter into anything. I create the space for the, for the, uh, um, what do you, what do you, the submissions, right? The only thing that we do is we verify what's been submitted to us to make sure that the information is true, and then we publish it as is, right? Now, the only problem that I really have, and of course I'm gonna, you know, people are gonna hate me for this, but I think that wh whether you like it or not, you you're gonna have to deal with this on the ground at some point in time, and that is that if some people died in the field because of what Julian Assange uh, posted or what he allowed to be posted on WikiLeaks, um, I. I, what, what U.S. Empire or what the global political economic empire has done, uh, the amount of blood that it has on its hands. Well, he said the same thing. Is inf I know, but yeah. I think it's important that whether you like that argument or not, it needs to be said because we have a lot of blood on our hands. No, dude. it's it's not that I'm mm -hmm. against. You just think he's not a. I just think he's not a journalist. journalist. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know, he created a great fucking platform. You are a conduit. That's all you fucking are. It would have been interesting if so, because like even with the Twitter files, which is where I'm so that's where it all, all this stuff ends up right now is. So, like I said, like uh, Elon, Elon Musk provides a space for them to come in and to make requests with regards to these giant databases to do keyword searches and shit like that. So they do a keyword search on Trump. They do a keyword search on uh, the cunt that was um uh, pounded on uh, Matt Taibbi the other day when when him and Michael Schellenberg they're, they're the Twitter files people that uh, testified in front of Congress and uh, I can't remember what that hoochie fucking mom she's the, she's the one that was the head of the Democratic National Committee oh that had that's the post down. or that's the post that you showed me the other day yeah I mean uh, and when I say cunt I mean that with a fucking capital C-U-N-T fucking with an exclamation point uh, Deborah Wasserman Schultz and uh, also uh, that other fucking hoebag, uh, Stacy Plaskett. Um, Stacy Plaskett said, "Well, these so-called journalists. I mean, she said. I mean, they write. You know. I mean, and it's like you said. If it's if it's through a if 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 you're filtering it through the lens, then you can't say they're not journalists. At that well, point I don't. I don't consider most of these people anymore journalists. I mean, as as far as I'm concerned, as far when they started doing." the Wednesday's child back on fucking the local news, you know, to... I don't want to get caught up in this. I, I understand Because that. it's 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 this stupid fucking congresswoman that's saying these people aren't... All because, I'm saying is because, I didn't say these so-called journalists. I'm just saying I don't care about what you say. Guy. I care about people that are sitting in front of Congress when somebody's going and they're doing exactly what you're saying they're doing, right? There's information that's out there. They're doing the searches. They go through the information, they're vetting it, they're looking at it, they're seeing 
who's involved in what's happening, and then they write things that are newsworthy. And I read a ton of this shit. I think everything that I've read that's come out through the fucking Twitter files is mostly fucking newsworthy. Fucking Deborah Washman Schultz, she's sitting there fucking saying, have you made money off of this work that you're doing? And he said something to the effect, um, well, because of the amount of pushback that I've gotten, I, I've lost a lot of money. I've had to hire some people to, to make sure that the stuff that I'm doing is double vetted. He said, but what system are we living in here? I'm not, I'm a journalist and I'm not allowed to right. have financial gain. Do you, do you get bitched? Do you get paid for the fucking work you do when you're fucking doing all this stuff for the DNC and you get fucking hired to go give a fucking talk like fucking, you know, Hillary fucking Rodham cunt bag and you get paid $750,000 by fucking Goldman Sachs because they're paying you back for the fact that you guys backed them up while your husband was fucking, you know, and you were the secretary of state and all that fucking shite. I don't remember journalists ever being a volunteer sort of vocation. <laughs> like, I'm going to do this because, you know, I will say that it's there, right. There was a time period, though, when, like, Walter Cronkite, I think he had a, he wanted people to trust him. I think that people that did journalism back then, credibility was a more important thing now. I think we don't even know what fucking credibility looks like in this day and age. So, No, because, you know, and I always say, well, we can change the channel if, if we don't like what we see. Mm -hmm. um, but we have, you know, 500 and some different fucking channels. So lots of people are changing the channel. It <laughs> might be between, you know, four of them. Mm -hmm. But... It's the four that are right, or it's the four that are left. It's not any of them that are in the middle. It's not whatever the middle any means. of them. Yeah. Well, no, I'm just. I know, I know. I'm just. It's not any of them that are from another country. It's not anything that will give someone a better idea of what is going on in any situation or on any topic. So they just listen to fucking fucking idiot with the bow tie or that fucking other idiot he doesn't Rachel wear, Maddow he, does, he doesn't or, wear he doesn't wear a bow tie anymore okay and Rachel Maddow's not on MSNBC I, I, I know anymore. I get it but okay. I'm just saying those were the two that were like super fucking popular when I used to watch the news mm -hmm. um you should go check out some of the people online I know I know you really like to stay up on things and it's very important but as much as you talk about this stuff there might be some value in it Maybe. I don't I don't know. Like I said, it wasn't that it was a lack of journalism that made me quit watching the news. I think that was part of it. Mm -hmm. But the main part was that it just fucking pissed me off. Well, that's why I go to these other places. They still piss me off, but at least I know that what I'm getting is coming from a place where they're trying to work it out. I'm not saying that it's the right No, no, right I'm not saying that I was pissed mm -hmm. because they weren't journalists. I'm saying I was pissed because I just... There's just so much shit going on that shouldn't be going on that I am pissed that's about. Kinda, that. But that's why, that's why I look for other outlets. That's why I think it's important in the world that we live in to look for other outlets. Okay, that's so fair. The only other thing that I was thinking about with regards to the intelligence stuff was the newsroom, right? Because that uh, that gal in the third season, uh, they leak uh, information, but she tells them something that was interesting and important, and that was that they, they, before she was going to talk to them, she made them get an AirGap computer, which now... Because of technology, like it's hard because you have to have a certain a computer that's made 
before a certain time where you'd have to make the computer yourself because there's stuff inside of a computer that makes it automatically connect to internet signals now, doesn't it? Well, no. I mean, yes and no. Um, it's going to ask you if you want to connect, and hopefully whatever fucking Wi-Fi is out there, it's going to request a password. Like, you know, it's not automatically going to connect at Best Buy because you don't know the the code to get on Best Buy. But what I was saying is that the software is already in the fucking PC to begin with. So is there such thing as an ergap computer anymore? Ish. Um, maybe. But there's probably ways where they can reach in without, I mean, you would have to do something weird with the technology inside the computer, wouldn't you? You would probably have to build it yourself, and instead of using something like Apple-type software or Microsoft, you'd have to use something like that a, was an alien language, a Linux-based yeah. type software. Um, and then even then, I don't know because I don't know. I don't know who they're in bed with. All I know is that they're in bed with a lot of large corporations. And just because that corporation hasn't been listed doesn't mean that they're not in bed. It's hard to get all day. It, it yeah. just means that they haven't been found out yet. So it's like, you know, I'm cheating on my girlfriend. She hasn't caught me, but that doesn't mean I'm not fucking another girl. Yeah, that's 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 that that analogy is just almost perfect right there, dude. <laughs> I was trying to simplify things for people. Um, well, and it worked with the whole bed thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you would have to do to be truly air gapped, because the air gap means that is it has never touched the outside. And technically, you know, when they're building these things in the factory, they test them. Mm -hmm. So it has touched the outside. Mm -hmm. Now, air-gapped could also mean it hasn't touched an outside network other than the testing network. But I would say no, an air-gapped computer doesn't exist. Yeah, it's, it seems like... The more I think about it, the way that things like rip automatically reach in and reach out from that, that scene, that's why I asked the question because it makes, I agree. I don't think that you could probably do it, but I don't know enough about the technology to say one way or another. It just conceptually seems like it would be more problematic now than it was in 2013 or 2012 when that. Well, like I said, I mean, three came out. Samsung, they had all of those TVs that had the fucking spyware on them mm -hmm. or the built malware yeah, that uh -huh. would fucking turn it into a mic Which stands to reason that there would be something like that that we put inside anything that was technologically constructed yeah. hp had the one so just because samsung and hp were the only ones that were there doesn't mean that it wasn't dell it wasn't apple it wasn't you know sony yeah I get whoever you. i'm picking up what you're putting down i'm reading your mail i hear you clucking big chicken yeah um so since since we're talking about the the computer shit and and privacy, um, I think if you haven't seen Zero Days, you probably should watch it. It's a documentary. Um, it is 
basically about the a zero day virus um, and a zero day well so a zero day virus is a virus that hits and basically it has never been seen before so that's it's the day, day it was one. born okay yeah okay. zero uh-huh. um, and zero days talks about a lot of the different zero day attacks but the one that it really focuses on is Stuxnet which Stuxnet was the one that fucking went crazy all over the world. Is it the Iran one that you were talking about before? But okay. that one went directly into uh-huh. the. It was it was purpose built to find the hardware specific to the Where, uranium enrichment yeah, facility in Iran. Yeah, okay, out there. Um, Stux, Stuxnet. Yeah, S T U X N E T. But then there's always there's also a movie called Stuxnet. Uh-huh. Um, also a documentary, or was it okay? Yeah. But that'll give you at least an idea of how those go after specific technological devices, and yeah, and how and, difficult it can be at the beginning when it's like just developing. And they kind of follow your entire thing, like you know, you're talking about gamma function and all of this shit with regard to like covid mm-hmm. and how they're basically developing these viruses mm-hmm. and i talked to my doctor a couple of different times about it um and you know we were talking and basically the way that it sounded the way that it was attacking certain people and killing them and certain people and making them really sick mm-hmm. it sounded to me like it was engineered for to engineered people the same way that they engineer a computer virus to where it can hunt down a certain type of machine or whatever. So it sounded like it was fucking built to hunt people that may have bad lungs or diabetes or whatever. So like some, I mean, they, they actually had a couple episodes in fringe where they talked about ideas like that. Um, orchestrating, uh, I mean, of course it's, it's cause it's fringe and it's like, supposed to be their goofy you know stuff it's much more directed like uh this goes after brown haired people this goes after jewish people this goes after um you know black people brown people well, asian it, people whatever it could know? have been any i mean they could if you'd have to find a specific dna right. thing or whatever yeah mm-hmm. and and i'm not saying that's the case i am a fucking whack nut job but when you see something where there's certain tendencies that are happening you at least have to think about and ask the question why why is this tendency is is the tendency random if it happens over and over again like the poker thing like it it becomes less and less likely that it's random at that point in time it means that there's there's something that's directing it somehow or another well and you know so we know that cyber warfare is is something that every country in the world is probably focused on yeah but all of the other stuff, you know, nukes, you know, the UN frowns upon them. Chemical warfare, they frown on that. Um, biological warfare, you know, while this would be biological warfare, it's not oh, something that's fucking thrown up in the air to where it's necessarily going to target an entire city. Um, so. I wouldn't doubt that fucking at least all of the big countries that we're probably worried about or should be 
would be doing something like well, that. Well, especially because I mean, in this the you know the follow the money, you know, Darren the cynic, you know, uh, and here's like a conspiracy theory thing that that started that maybe you don't have to take this seriously, but if you take the market concept seriously, you you can at least see that. Uh, uh, cyber warfare exists. You're going to have firms that are, that work on developing certain strategies to protect people in relation to that, which means that you. So there was this company that was called Promise. Um, uh, this Inslaw was it was developed out of something with regards to a company called Inslaw. Promise was a software that uh, it was used um, to organize certain things on, on on certain databases, but it was structured with backdoors so that. Uh, and it's it started being used by uh, the California State Police Department, but it was something that worked in a lot of different contexts. So a bunch of different intelligence communities started to, to um, buy it. Uh, the suggestion when uh, Bin Laden sent that message uh, to Air Force One um, when they talked about it on that original Fox report, it was somehow tied to this this promise software stuff so right? they found it by going through the back door but, of the comms but the suggestion was that we actually sold that to the israelis and the israelis sold it to them or somehow or another but it was something that was intentionally being done anyway because even though they were able to to reverse it onto those spaces that was allowing us to see what they were doing in all these other other spaces so but again th that's probably too oversimplified but even still when you're going to have like if promise isn't right or if it's too oversimplified relative to how these things are playing out no matter what uh private industry is going to be what's going to proliferate the position in relation to developing technology in relation to these uh warfare techniques so people are going to be buying and selling shit throughout the globe to, yeah. to develop and improve them and to construct them for different uh uh, context in, in uh, intelligence spaces and state spaces and private information spaces and so on and so forth. Absolutely. I mean, well, and Kaspersky was a big player in that thing. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't actually do anything wrong or there was no proof of it. And they got shut down. I mean, I went to several trade shows where Kaspersky wasn't there. I mean, there was a sign that said Kaspersky, but they weren't there because... Basically, all of their big customers said, fuck you. Uh -huh. We heard about what you're doing. <laughs> Just buying for the Russians. So. It's like the pot calling the kettle black, I gotta tell you. No shit, <laughs> dude. Um, all right, so what's what's next on your list? Okay, so the other thing that I have to talk about, and first before I, so like, is is the Cradle, Cradle Rock stuff, right? So uh, to, to sort of reintroduce it, I brought up Diego Rivera last time. Um, I said that the reason why they destroyed the original mural. So the original mural was called uh, Man at the Crossroads, right? And the idea is that you have this individual at the center who represents, like, humankind, right? And there's science and all these different iterations, like, sort of, like, reaching out um, around him. And then on one side, they have this expression of capitalism. On the other side, they have this expression of socialism. So people came up to it. And you got motherfucking Lenin sitting there. You got fucking Marx sitting over there. And you got revolutionaries up on the right. You know, they're like, this is a fucking communist propaganda thing. You got to get this out of here, you know. And uh, first off, like, uh, not uh, J.D. Rockefeller Jr., but it was one of the other Rockefeller kids said, Diego, don't you think you can make this a little happier? 
can't you make it a little bit more joyous? He's like, dude, this is about man at the crossroads of history because this is it, it's written with co- conflict. It's complex, you know. Um, there is a space on it where you have, um, like, like I said, where you have um, uh, decadent bourgeois individuals partying, and then there's a syphilis thing that's right above them, right? But the the thing where he ended up redoing it with the teetotaler. Uh, who's drinking in the picture because he's making fun of him being a prig, you know, for all of his life. The one that he redoes in uh, Mexico City. So it does have the syphilis image where he's talking total shit about the Rockefeller family for allowing him to construct this gigantic mural. It's a three-part mural, you know, with the socialism, the man, and then, then, or I mean, capitalism, the man, and socialism. But then they fucking literally go and, like, demo it, dude, with fucking sledgehammers and rip the whole fucking thing down. And then he goes to Mexico City and redoes it. Um, and the new one is called, he gives it a different name, Man, Controller of the Universe, right? Because he's fucking pissed off at these motherfuckers who destroyed his other mural. And he's got all those people in it, but he's got the teetotaler there and then the syphilis above his head to kind of give the fucking Rockefellers the fuck you, you fucking motherfucker, right? But uh, he has an integral role in, in, in Cradle Rock. And there's a lot of sort of like discussions going back and forth. So it's, it's like 19, uh, 1937, 1936, the WP, the workers programs are all being developed. There's this one program uh, that was created um, to construct theater spaces throughout the United States so that people that were working class would be able to have access to theater, right? You could go see Faustus, you could go see fucking Shakespeare. Um, and uh, this was happening, but meanwhile, uh, the House of Un-American Activities Committee started to do their shit, and uh, uh, there was a lot of things in the literature um, in relation to the development of this uh, this program that was, you know, pro-union, that was workers' rights, you know, uh, using uh, social goods as a way of moving history forward and not markets, you know. So um, because you have this parallel disposition with regards to the House of American Activities Committee, uh, they're starting to call these people in, right? And uh, Joan Cusack, who works as one of the people at the WPA, like getting people in and helping to get people that are working in the uh, uh, the industry, the um you know whether you're you're a, uh, a stagehand or an actor or a singer or whatever it is that you do in the arts uh, they'd help to facilitate getting them uh, jobs and, and other things that were related to the WPA but because they were focusing on this specific idea um, they were uh, uh, demonstrating what was going on there especially because some of the stuff we were talking about last time when I was talking about Marcuse where Art is sort of this thing that's it's tip, you know, it, when it's functioning properly, its nose is at the, it's like the comet that's like pushing us through history, right? But there are some pseudo pseudo dispositions, you know, in it. So they're 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 trying to sort of like illustrate how um, some of the tensions that were existing inside of this space were creating, you know, uh, this this real space for real art to to exist during this time period. But there was this huge pushback, where so Joan, Joan Cusack worked there, but she. You know, she talked about everybody being a red there, and, you know, you're all a bunch of fucking commies. So she gets called the House of American Activities Committee. She names names. You know, she talks shit about everybody she fucking works with. And uh, the same thing happens with um, uh, Bill Murray, who, uh, you know, 
Jack Black is this person that so he's a he does a vaudeville act right and he's he's trying to teach Jack Black how to fucking you know keep his mouth from fucking moving when he's talking with his fucking uh, his dummy but Jack Black can't do it and his gay boyfriend can't do it either so um, uh, Bill Murray's like you know you, you and they're trying to uh, imitate Bill Murray's act he's like this is my act you know this is I I worked hard on it you know this is my capitalism and my Ayn Rand and blah 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 you know. And you can't steal from me like that, right? So he ends up going and fucking talking shit about everybody too. And they get blackballed because, you know, they name names and all that stuff. And in the last scene, it comes out where Bill Murray goes and does his last vaudeville act. And he's going to give up after this. Uh, he starts to talk like a revolutionary through his uh, dummy. His, his dummy because his activity being pro-capitalist and against socialism was an act because he was afraid to not have a job. So he starts seeing the internationality and knows the whole fucking thing. And then he walks off, he sets his fucking dummy down, and he leaves forever, right? And there's this whole symbolic, symbolic thing where uh, Jack Black and his boyfriend put the dummy in a fake... Uh, coffin and they, they carry it down the, the street and there's all these people that are walking behind him that are artists that are like following him. And it's, it's really, it's, it's just a symbolic thing, right? But meanwhile, Hank Azari is this writer, right? And he comes up with this play and uh, it's, you know, pro-union and the, the capitalist fat cats, all this, the way that they couched everything back then. I mean, just total, both sides were just, I mean, as a Marxist, I'm going to say both sides were total rhetorical bullshit. You know, it's a lot more complicated than the way that they're playing it out. Uh, unions are not perfect. Unions need to be a lot more developed and a lot more complicated. But the way that they're being presented in there, it, it was hyper pro-union. So after Joan Cusack and Bill Murray and all these people come back, they start slashing the money that's going to this uh, uh, this program that's allowing for these a place to be put on and Hank Azaria's play was about to be put on but they slashed all the fucking money so uh, the union said you can't do it because we can't get paid right uh, and everybody said so basically it gets shut down entirely they have fucking uh, cops that are standing in front of the theater not allowing them to get in or get out right so all of the actors go in and they sneak in and they figure out a place where they can do it but you know all the people that are pro-union are like you actors can't do it you 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 musicians can't play the music in it they all go down the street to this other place and they they, they do it anyway and uh this lady um emily watson who uh, had never acted before in her life she facilitated this space to where um uh, orson wells is the one that's directing the play um he he, he sees her and he wants her to to do it but she fucking sucks, right? It just didn't, it didn't work out really well, but they had to shut everything down. So everybody that was in the play, whether they're playing the music, most everybody that was, they go to see, and Hank Azaria is just going to do it on this stage where he sort of like reads what's happening, right? But somehow or another through this moment, he's singing, the, because the vocal part begins with Emily Watson. He's singing, and then Emily Watson comes in and just starts singing, right? And then like sort of John Turturro's got this really big role in it, like this makeshift moment where it all starts happening sort of like in the audience where they start acting it out like in this this theater um and it's as a reaction to 
to the unions tell them they can't do it. It's a reaction to the state trying to stop them from doing it. It's where it's just a, like a moment of pure art in, the, in this moment of time. Really, it comes off very cool and it's very fucking interesting. But uh, it was still this moment in time where... It's also kind of a big fuck you to everybody, right? To if, everybody. If everybody is participating... And then, trying to stop it, yes. Yeah. They're, they're saying fuck you to the union. They're saying fuck you to the state. And I think that this is the thing where... If we're going to move into the next moment in time in a concrete and meaningful way, uh, the way that unions have functioned since the 1970s is incredibly reactionary. I don't need somebody to pay me fucking money for uh, uh, work that... I, I, I want to get paid for what I'm doing, and I want to be the best at what I'm doing, and I want to compete with other people to, to be the best at what I'm doing. Um, I don't want people to be able to be disenfranchised in relation to how they exist in, in their labor position, but that doesn't mean that we lock ourselves into a 1972 production strategy because we're afraid of change. Like, change is one of those things that has to happen and has to keep happening. It's just that labor needs to activate itself in a way where it's not... Uh, we need to have a 21st century labor consciousness that is more... that is not like not like the AFL-CIO stuff. It has to be something something new, something different, something that, like Star Trek, you know? Like w what I was talking about the other day. And I don't, like, I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't know what the fuck that looks like, you know? I mean, what I do know is that I don't want banks like fucking Silicon Valley Bank to get in fucking billion-dollar bailouts while everybody else is fucking hand-to-mouth, you know? This is a fucking problem. We need to have a system where we have health insurance for people, where dental insurance where you know vision insurance where people are eating food and they're doing okay but they're contributing they're not just getting fucking shit handed out to them i don't i don't want a fucking world where we're just getting shit fucking handed out to them i want people to to feel compelled to contribute to a society where the betterment of the society is the function of what it is that we're doing socially collectively as individuals and in the society as a whole i know that's a fucking total pie in the sky thing but I do not want shit to be, like you said, you, you got the picture. The point at the end was that it was a fuck you to all of them. Because it's about, and it was awesome. The way that the fucking show came off was awesome as a result. And it was because it was sort of impromptu. And because they all just were committed to, to the act of art in the first place. Well, I think that that says another thing. What's that? I, I think that it says a couple of things. One, the Diego's mural you can't do it again and two yes even in the theater you know everything comes off without a hitch and the fucking audience is is participating and everybody's not singing and saying kumbaya mm -hmm. but yeah. there's all there's this fucking great vibe right an yes an energy an excitement a vibration you can't redo that. No, you can't. You never, ever, no matter how much you fucking try, and you can plant people in the audience, and you can do all of this shit, and it's never going to come off as good as that initial time. And, and I'm not saying that you can't have stuff redone. I'm saying that there are certain moments in history, whether it be the mural or the theater or whatever, where it was so fucking good. It was just brilliant. 
you're never going to touch it again, no matter how how hard you try. There's, at the bottom of what you're saying right there is the tension between the concept of when a thing becomes a thing and when it becomes institutionalized, right? When it becomes institutionalized, it loses some of that. It's it's synthetic. It loses some of that magic, you know, and the, the, the moment disappears. You know, yeah. you're trying to fucking cling to it, right? So there's this scene, like, okay, so... Uh, of course, you got Susan. Tim Tim Robbins wrote, wrote and directed with, with he wrote it with four, three other people, but it's Tim Robbins and Susan. Of course, I mean it's going to be you know it's going to be either Warren Beatty, Susan Sarandon, or Tim Robbins. I mean those are the big fucking socialists that are that are going to be not just saying pro socialism. They're going to be saying okay, so what was happening? What was good? What was bad? You know how do how do we how do we make something better? Right. So, um, but Susan Sarandon's character, so she's, she's an Italian diplomat, right? Comes to the U.S. and she interacts with all these fucking, you know, high, high corporate uh, spaces, right? And she had been a really good friend with Diego Rivera earlier on in both of their careers, all right? So uh, they kick Diego Rivera out. They give him a fucking $21,000 check. They say, get the fuck out of here. You don't, you, we're, you're, we're done with you. We're paid you your commission. You got no more fucking claim to anything here you don't own it we own it right 21 grand in fucking 30s is badass yeah that, well diego was not so this is important right so susan sarandon sees him and goes and engages him and because she's an italian diplomat and this is 1936 and uh uh what's his name uh donald trump is the the president of uh, it's Italy at that point in time. What the fuck's, I can't remember his fucking the fascist guy's name. Benito Mussolini. Yeah, Benito Mussolini, right, is in charge. Yeah, Donald Trump is in charge there, and uh, um, so Diego Rivera says, "I can't believe that you try to talk to me. You think you know something about art? You know, you're an apologist for a fascist." She said, "Fuck you, motherfucker! You just got a twenty-one thousand dollar check from fucking Rockefeller." She says, you don't get a fucking stand in front of me. And, and she's not engaging with the fact that she's an apologist for, for, uh, for a, a fascist, right? But he is also not engaging with the fact that he, by, by being commissioned by the people that he's being commissioned by, he's very similar to, you know. So uh, there's, there's a huge point. And at the end, so uh, John Cusack plays uh, the, the Rockefeller guy in it, right? And he's talking to all these guys uh, who were the pillars of uh, corporate society at that time. And uh, they're all at this uh, costume event, right? And the costume event, they're all dressed up like uh, uh, French uh, people from like the Louis the, the, yeah, XVI. Gotcha. cake. Like, yeah, it, it, dude, it, like the, I mean, it's, it's, it's so fucking in your face, you know? Like, it's such an over the type. Just made me laugh. I'm like, you could have, you could have brought it down a little bit so it wasn't so fucking in your face. But uh, they're clearly demonstrating it. But the, the, um, Cusack says to this other guy, he says, he says, artists are just, uh, prostitutes too, you know? He says, we just have to make sure we can let them deal with color. We can let them deal with form. We just cannot allow social discussions to enter into the artistic spaces any longer. So um, they're doing that at the same time that uh, there's this discussion that's going on between Susan's, between fascism and, and capitalism, you know, and all of the internal contradictions and the hypocrisies in relation to people that are trying to get their ethical high ground uh, is 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 pushing out on all these different spaces except for in the moment where that cradle will rock uh which is the name of the play the cradle will rock will rock um uh play gets done the one time that it gets done 
like you said, because that's the one time that it gets done. It gets done in a certain way that just captures the the beauty of real art when real art plays off, and also when it demonstrates uh, real concrete internal contradictions in society that that are not solving themselves in the moment, except for in in the 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 tensions, the the, the conflict that's occurring between all of these different actors and sides sides and spaces. Really, like it's been a long time since I'd watched that movie. I'm glad I watched it today before we fucking did this because because um, it's a good way of saying that was what was going on then and we need to you know otherwise we're just repeating the same bullshit that they did like if we keep sucking bernie's dick you know then those people are just saying let's go back to 1936 and we we are never going to go back and we don't want to go back to 1936 we right. need something better we need something new we need something that pushes in, in a better more dynamic direction. it just makes me wonder and i know it's not a, a documentary type movie it's one of those that's supposed to be loosely based on history, history whatever yeah. but it makes me wonder if you know tim robbins or or his wife or anybody you know talk to somebody that was in that theater that night you know did they do interviews did they know what happened i mean because the idea is fucking brilliant mm -hmm. it's great but is it's it also hollywood yeah um you know i'd love for, to sit down and have a coffee with them and ask them it'd be a good question for all we know they did the play mm -hmm. You know, that part's true, but it absolutely fucking sucked, and people were throwing tomatoes, and they said, <laughs> fuck you, and then they walked out, and they still said, fuck you to the union, and fuck you to the state, yeah. but... It didn't have that same... That vibe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, when you told me about the Diego mural, it reminded me of Silicon Valley, and I'm sorry, I, I, gotta, <laughs> I gotta mention it, because it it's fucking... really fucking funny, dude. It makes me laugh so hard, so... In Silicon Valley, uh, T.J. Fox plays this dude named Ehrlich, who is the owner of an incubator. And an incubator is where tech companies go to try to end up getting money. Um, but he takes a cut if they do end up making it because it's his house, Does his he incubator. Does he have like special lights? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. To help the company grow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, Pied Piper ends up getting big. They get some money. So they go to buy a Pied Piper logo. Well, Ehrlich wants to put some edge on it. So he goes and finds this tagger named Chewy Ramirez. And Chewy says he wants stocks and because he know another tagger that it did something for Facebook and he made a bunch of money. And Ehrlich says, well, I'll give you 10 grand, you know, just paint it on the garage door. So he paints this itty bitty logo, but he thinks that this guy Dinesh is Mexican because he told him that he was because he was in a Mexican neighborhood and didn't want to get jumped or whatever. So he says, yeah, he's Mexican. So he paints a itty bitty logo and he paints Dinesh in like this fucking full-on Aztec king type of regalia, <laughs> but fucking the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> Ehrlich complains and says, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a little too much. <laughs> and besides, I lied to you. He's, he's not Mexican. He's, He's Pakistani. <laughs> <laughs> so he changed it. 
And he changed him back to a Pakistani. But then he painted Ehrlich's face on the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> and little kids were walking by and shit. They had to keep the garage door open so that nobody could see it. But they finally ended up having to take it down. They said, you know what? It's yours. You take it. So he took it and he ended up selling it to this other large tech company. But it made me laugh so fucking. I mean, I'm Ch- fucking crying. Yeah. Diego. I mean, dude, if, if that's not a direct fucking like homage to the butt fucking of capitalism, you know, as it relates to art. And well, directly connecting to that moment in time, I don't know what is, dude. You know, the show is at least produced by Mike Judge. Um, yeah, he's a shit talking motherfucker. And he, he definitely is, is, and he knows a lot about art and history. And history. <laughs> so it wouldn't surprise me if he was saying, dude, that the looks thing. so. It looks so much like that event. I mean, it just fucking. I mean, and his name is Chuy Ramirez. I mean, my God, dude. I mean, that's like the, that's a Mike Judge thing to do, where you just take this fucking stereotypical thing to graft onto this other thing, and he's fucking butt fucking him, and then he puts his face on it. That's fucking dude. It's that's so the, funny. That's and the, the syphilis the, thing on the fucking face. Steroids, the dude. face that he painted on there. I mean, he looks. It, 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 it's just it's hilarious. If you guys have not seen Silicon Valley, the entire fucking series is hilarious. But. For Diego's sake and Chewie's, watch. For Diego and Chewie's sake. <laughs> watch. For Frida Kahlo's sake. Watch. Uh, season one, episode five of Silicon Valley. That was what it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, so, you also wanted to talk about the newsroom, too. And at least I thought you had mentioned Well, it. the only reason why I brought it up was because of the air gap computer thing. But... No matter what, I mean, there's all kinds of good discussions about um, uh, censorship and that. Um, he comes out and makes the comment about the uh, uh, the Tea Party. Uh, his uh, boss tells, well, the the his boss tells him to shut up. Uh, Jane Fonda tells uh, Sam Waterston. If he doesn't back the fuck off because I get kicked off this fucking committee, I need to have access to that committee. Otherwise, I can't do all the shit that I need to do throughout the course of the year as a person who owns a huge fucking media company. I will do what they call, what she calls create a context. The context was that she would get his ass fired for doing things that were detrimental to the company. Uh, she paid all kinds of money to the... Uh, the shitty ass the gossip rag yeah, that yeah, she also uh-huh. owned yeah to to um to go after him and in the meantime her son paid the NSA to go and start observing the things that uh um well Will, they were, Will was doing yeah the, well no they were just listening to his phone his calls phone, yeah. yeah so he he called up old girl and said even though I'm stoned tonight, I love you. Well, and that was funny is that he's the one that fucked himself there because he's the one that called the chick from the gossip rag. Um, so that wasn't even the NSA. I mean, the NSA was listening. He didn't call the gossip one that night. No, he did not. He called her his... He Yes, he did. You're fucking wrong. You're I'll, fucking I'll wrong. I'll bet you $250. You, you lose. He didn't call her. He did. No, she got... They gave her that. He called up, yes, he called up the British girl that he fucking loved. You're wrong. You are absolutely incorrect. No. 
I I have the movie or I have the show, so we'll look at it when we're done here. We'll look at it, and you'll you'll be like, "Oh, dude, are you? Now I owe you more money." <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, um, that that won't be happening. But that's fine. Um, okay, so we are over an hour again. Is there any? I know you watched Pump Up the Volume. I, that was the only thing I was going to say. I love that fucking movie. I, I mean, and especially since maybe in terms of closure with regards to what we're doing here. Um, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm hyper concerned that at some point in time they'll start bottling up what it is that all these people are doing right here. Because what we're doing right here is ostensibly free, you know. And uh, we do not have an FCC coming in from the side right now telling us that we can't say these things, that I can't say fuck you, fuck your fucking mother, you know, I hope you get your fucking ass raped by a fucking, you know, donkey or something like that. I, I can still do that right now, and not, nobody's telling me that I can't do that. So, I mean, the irony is is that on a certain level, um, we are doing things in a very free way in this space right now. Yes, we absolutely are. And and all of the internet service providers are trying to figure out a way to limit that more than the government is because they want to make money off of it too. Um, because in theory, you know, Google, Yahoo, whoever, or whichever company, um, they think that content on their service or that runs through their service they should get a piece of it um and they're they're pushing for that shit really hard and that's one of the things that fucking jane fonda was pushing for on the newsroom is because of that content that you know she wants a piece of that not just a piece of what she owns as the atlantis cable news but a piece of what's coming through the isp so that's what a lot of them are pushing for um so you're right we may end up having to pay a bunch of money and fines to the fcc or to an isp because you know now congress has passed the law that says we've got to cut us, it shut us down yeah. yeah and then we'd have to become a pirate radio station like uh um uh, hard uh what was his name uh happy harry hard on that's right and his he went to hubert humphrey high school that's right hhh right and what was the because uh, somebody else did pirate radio but they had a they were on a fucking old like oil tanker or something i i just remember philip seymour hoffman was in it was it like a radio free america kind of thing or something or <sighs> dude i can't remember the fucking name of it but they were out on this boat and they were doing a radio program but since they were out in international waters, the FCC couldn't fuck with them. But they kept having to, like, update their antenna because, you know, signals were degrading and they were getting listeners here and not here and whatever. They but, did it all on AM probably because you needed that wider frequency. Right. Okay. I just can't remember what the fucking name of the movie was. Cool. Pirate? Pirate radio? No, that wasn't the eh, maybe. We'll, we'll, I don't know. We'll, we'll find it. We'll bring it up next time. Do we know what we're going to talk about on the next one? Fuck, I didn't know what I was going to talk about on this one. Um, that's a no. Okay, no. We'll come with it. We'll come we'll, up with it later. We'll figure it out. Um, so in the meantime, we're in all of your heads, standing here, naked, staring back at you, wearing only a cock ring. 
All right, thanks for the pump up the volume reference again. Um, 720-334, roll. 7655 or short bus debate club at yahoo.com. Somebody talk to us. We're lonely. Roll, bitches, roll. Later.